So design thinking looks at a challenge or a question in three lenses and looks at it as a, is it desirable? Does a person want to use that product or go through that process? And then is it feasible and is it viable? So can a business actually do that process or build that product? And will they actually be successful? Will there be revenue? Will there be sales? So is it actually going to meet the business goals? And so what you do is you take that challenge, that problem, and you look at it in the lens of the person. So if we're going with a hiring process, you would be looking at the hiring process through the candidate's eyes, through the business eyes, through the recruiter's eyes, through the hiring manager's eyes, whoever is a part of that process, understanding what they get from that process, and then getting gathering insights to figure out how can I actually solve this problem. The topics and opinions expressed in the following show are solely those of the hosts and their guests and not those of W4CY Radio, its employees, or affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services, or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability, explicit or implied, shall be extended to W4CY Radio or its employees or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4CY Radio. Welcome back, everyone, to the Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization Show, the home of Googleization Nation, where we talk with HR and business thought leaders about the crazy shift going on in the world of business, technology, and HR. Here's your host, Ira Wolf. Hey there, Googleization Nation. It's great to have you back. I hope you had a good week, and I hope, uh, well, welcome back to another episode of Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization. We've got a, another great topic. We're going to be talking about recruiting and hiring, certainly on the top of everybody's list these days. Uh, labor shortages are in a, well, basically the labor market's in in a free fall, and every place you look, I was just rereading some articles about supply chain, about not only hiring for December for for the holidays. Hard to believe, Jason. We got the holidays coming up. I know. And I walked into maybe two weeks ago or three weeks ago, and and forget Halloween. I mean, walk, walked in mm -hmm. and all the Christmas toys and decorations are already out, and it's like, oh man, it's coming up. It's coming up fast. But they're you know, and people are already buying everything because they're afraid the supplies aren't going to last because of supply chains. And it's not that there's no product. They're all slipping on ships and docks and, and, and overseas because they can't get them here because of people. That's exactly right. And we're one of those families. We were going to get a Nintendo Switch this year for our oldest son, Duke. He turned seven. We're like, okay, he's old enough for one. And I told my wife, I said, we can't wait to get one of those. You know, the inventory may be too low. We won't be able to find one. So let's go ahead and get it now. And we did that. And just to, you know, to echo your sentiment there regarding the labor market, 40%, this is from McKinsey, their Q3 report, 40% of employees have indicated they're likely to leave their current job in the next three to six months. And then looking retrospectively, the previous three months, 36% of people who quit their jobs did not have another job lined up. So it's not one of those things where employers can hope like, okay, they'll stick it out with us if they don't have something else. No. They're leaving if it's not a good situation that's working out for them. Yeah, what's interesting is is now the unemployment benefits expired. So that was always the excuse is that's holding people back and they have all these benefits and the rate those rates aren't changing at all. And as long as we're talking about different rates, I just pulled this out this morning. 
one and and we've been talking about this for years i mean i I wrote my first book been talking about the perfect labor storm talked about the the baby boomers and you know we were all supposed to exit the workplace in mass you know the first chance we had and then people stuck around for many for for multiple reasons some people got uh their retirements were wiped out in 2007 2008 with that recession so people stuck in longer some baby boomers retired realized retirement wasn't all always cracked up to be and they continue to work. But during the pandemic, it finally hit home for a lot of them. And 1.5 million workers retired early during the pandemic. And that was on top of another 900,000, so almost two and a half million, who naturally aged out of the workforce. And, you know, the older baby boomers are now really approaching 80 years old. So a lot of those, even if they continued to work, they're obviously not doing the jobs that need to be done. It's even a little too strenuous, not too strenuous, but they're long hours. And, and if you're 75 years old, you want to, you want to be working at McDonald's or, or Walmart and taking all the aggravation and, and everything that's there. You're also susceptible still to the Delta, you know, even if you're vaccinated in that. And then another, this, and this was, this makes it interesting from millennials and also changes in management of how, how management and, and companies need to completely change their dynamics. 33% of job seekers, of new job of job seekers are first time job seekers. One third of new job seekers. Are, yeah. Are first time job seekers. So yeah, it's it's changing all the dynamics. So that's why I'm really excited to have Jody Brandstetter on today. She's got a new book, Hire by Design. She had won one of my books from a that's how we connected a few months ago. I, I always run a contest for anybody who's attended one of my sessions. They know that. And uh, she wanted one of the books and we made a connection after that. And she has a new book and uh, she has a slightly different approach. Well, is everybody has a different approach, but she's really modeling this after design thinking. Uh, which has really not been used in HR or recruitment, you know, the very traditional approaches that they've had it. So we'll be really interested to see how how she's applying that to this. I'm sure you're familiar with design thinking, <laughs> different approaches to problem solving. Absolutely. Sure. I'm very excited about this. And I think for a lot of our listeners who oversee the hiring and recruiting practices, I think they're going to come away with a lot of practical information today, understand what design thinking is, and see if it's something that they can use to adapt or come up with some new ways to improve employer brand and make sure they're creating an incredible candidate experience right off the bat. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's so many things, and, and we're going to jump into Jody right away, but we talk about adaptability. I just did a inter- really, really interesting interview yesterday with uh, from Amsterdam with uh, Tom Sliding is his name, and it, w- it was fascinating, and uh, it'll be going up on YouTube to maybe today or over the next day or so. So you'll be able to watch it there. I put a couple excerpts up on LinkedIn and uh, it was just, it was just a fun interview. It's amazing. This the setup he has. So we're going to, uh, we'll share that with you, take a look there. But when it comes to uh, recruitment and hiring and changing your culture, diversity and inclusion, innovation, I mean, all these things tend to relate to adaptability. And the more we dig into this, the more application we have. And where the tie in today is, a lot of the thinking there is with design thinking because design thinking is about being, you know, in, set, in a sense, being more innovative and identifying new ideas and certainly helping people adapt, you know, to a new environment. 
So uh, with that, one last thing, if you're not a member of Googleization Nation, please go up and, and join GoogleizationNation.com. It's free. Uh, and uh, on a, uh, I've missed the last two weeks just for some other things going on, just being busy. But typically once a week, you'll get a notice about some updates some webinars, podcasts, interesting articles that we had. And uh, hopefully, Jason, I can get you to contribute some things in there and we can get those going out as well. And, you know, you'll get notices about future Geek Skeezers and Googleization show. We got a great one at the end of the month. It is October. We got Jacob Morgan coming on. So, and uh, we're really looking forward to that as long as well as uh, some of our other guests. But today we've got Jody Brandstetter all the way from Ohio, Cincinnati. She's celebrating their big wins, she was telling us. And uh, we're going to hear a little bit about, or a lot about, design thinking. She's been working in talent acquisition for the last 20 years, I think, she shared. So hopefully Jody will be joining us. There she is. Hey, Jody. Hello. Good. So I'll I'll let you give a little bit of background. Anya, I kind of plugged you, you know, built you up. So, you know, you're you're standing (laughs) on the pedestal. Tell us a little bit about your background, how you got into HR, talent acquisition, and then uh, definitely want to hear about design thinking. Absolutely. So I am a recruiter by trade. I've been in recruiting for 20 years, literally right out of college. And I was in high volume recruiting for most of my career. So I always joke that I've been ghosted since pretty much 2001. When you're in high volume, ghosting happens all the time. And in 2018, I decided to leave the corporate world and start my consulting business, which is Lean Effective Talent Strategies. I saw that small and mid-sized companies needed help with hiring, and I wanted to provide my knowledge and expertise to them. And when I decided to do that, you know, they always tell you when you become a consultant, you have to have something that separates you from everybody else. And I thought a methodology would be a great way to do that. And I found design thinking and just was fell in love with it and thought, why, why have I not been using this my whole career? Because it's all about working on solving solutions that are both good for the person as well as the business. And that's exactly what we do in HR and recruiting. You know, our goal is to make sure we have the people to help the business be successful. So I went through a certification program through IDOU and started implementing design thinking into my consulting practice. So now not only am I a recruiter by trade, I'm also a design thinker. Excellent. So again, we're all sort of in this thing, looking at different strategies. I I like the fact that, you know, you had a methodology. It seemed in the past that recruitment were, you know, new ideas, either let's throw a bonus out there, let's have pizza parties, let's have a picture, let's do a job fair, let's do a career fair, let's do all these things. But there really wasn't a fresh approach. It was just, uh, you know, gift cards, you know, free coupons for an ice cream if you come in for the interview. And the fact that you've, you you were talking, you're talking about ghosting before anybody even talked about ghosting, uh, before that was even a popular term. And then initially it was the fact of, individuals ghosting the candidates well if we go further back the first ghosting was actually on the part and still is unfortunately on the part of the companies yep you have hundreds and thousands of people apply and continually hear this i I don't know if either of you have watched it was a pbs special that was on it's called the future of work it was a three-part series and I'm actually going to use that in the in the class, my master's class on organizational change that I've coming up. It really covered it. But there was a woman there 
she was a professional. I can't remember what her role was. And she had been laid. I think she was laid off or the company closed. And at, right during right at the beginning of the COVID recession, the layoffs, uh, the quarantines and the, and the lockdowns, she said in there during the interview, she applied to 150 companies and heard from two. Wow. I mean, what a black mark on HR. <laughs> yeah. To tell you a story from 20 years ago, when I graduated college, I applied to a job in my hometown and it was an HR evening job. <laughs> it was so, it worked well as, you know, soon to be college grad because I didn't want to wake up yet in the morning, but I applied and literally six months after I applied, I got my thanks for no thanks letter. Six months. Wow. Yeah. Shocking, right? Like I didn't know I didn't get the job until <laughs> I was like, come on people, like just don't even send it. So, I mean, there was no excuse for that. But when we think about it, what technology's done is just automated that process. So now they uh -huh. can respond to thousands of people rather than just, <laughs> just yes. <a> handful. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody said a long time ago, great technology just makes a bad process or a bad system much, much worse, much faster. Uh -huh. And and that's sort of the state we're in. So let's talk about how we can a fresh approach to changing this because I, I talk about adaptability all the time. Jason's, you know, we're talking about using technology and, and engagement and different ways to connect. How first define, describe what design thinking is, and then how let's talk about ways that can be applied or some of the successes you've had applying that with your clients. So design thinking looks at a challenge or a question in three lenses and looks at it as a, is it desirable? Does a person want to use that product or go through that process? And then is it feasible and is it viable? So can a business actually do that process or build that product? And will they actually be successful? Will there be revenue? Will there be sales? So is it actually going to meet the business goals? And so what you do is you take that challenge, that problem, and you look at it in the lens of the person. So if we're going with a hiring process, you would be looking at the hiring process through the candidate's eyes, through the business eyes, through the recruiter's eyes, through the hiring manager's eyes, whoever is a part of that process, understanding what they get from that process, and then getting gathering insights to figure out how can I actually solve this problem and then using ideation, which is one of my favorite parts of design thinking, coming up with all kinds of ideas, and then prototyping, finding one or two ideas, try a really quick, fast solution so that you can gather feedback to understand, did this work? Will this help the problem? And then iteration, which we have been in iteration throughout COVID. So every time we couldn't do something and we had to tweak that iteration, so always trying to improve a process. Um, so using design thinking, you're really just looking at that problem and then taking it through the perspective of a couple different people in that process or within that problem and then coming up with better solutions. Um, so it's not where it like picks one idea and boom, you're done. You know, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of trying to figure it out. There's a lot of empathy involved in this process because you have to think of someone, you know, be in someone else's shoes. You know, and I think that's one of the biggest problems that we have in recruiting in HR is that we get, we go numb to the candidate experience. 
we understand the business side. We can tell you all the reasons why we have to hire this person. We can tell you all the problems and struggles that we're having with a hiring manager. But we always forget about the candidate, how they feel, what they're thinking, and what are their actions. And if you can do that, you're going to have better processes for them. Is there a particular place? I mean, is there a particular place in the hiring process, you know, from sourcing through the hiring that you found that this just resonates with when you, when you do this, you know, someplace, some steps more than others? So I always encourage my clients to first create a hiring blueprint, which is pretty much taking your hiring process and putting it through the candidate's perspective, and then also laying through your selection process, so your steps, and then being able to understand, well, who does what, what technology is there, what processes, what training, what policies are we working through? So it literally is this large blueprint of understanding your whole process. And then that really helps you see if there's any bottlenecks or any areas. So I have a client, we did this, and the whole process was just them. They did everything. And, you know, you think they would already know that, right? But when you lay it out and you see it, you realize, like, I need support from the business side. So now I have this blueprint that I can go in front of the business and say, hey, here's our process. Do you see the problem? <laughs> Thank you. It's, it's that we're not working together. Let's, you know, solve this problem. Um, so the hiring blueprint, just getting everything down to a point where you understand each step. Um, and then... The candidate experience is really easy. Starting point, having a candidate persona, walking through the candidate journey, understanding what are their actions and how can we actually create touch points where we're actually talking to our ideal candidates throughout their journey. Um, so those are, you know, kind of three things I'm always preaching about <laughs> is, is the blueprint, the candidate journey and the candidate persona. That's great, Jody. And, and with those, are there ever any pitfalls or things that happen along the way that sometimes throw sand in the gears of, of getting the improvement or the desired outcome for, for clients in terms of are there things that they interject that, that sometimes can make the process go awry or not be successful? You know, if you look at the candidate persona, if you make that too specific, and you're only looking for really like one person, that purple squirrel that we call in recruiting, um, you're not going to be able to come up with a lot of sourcing strategies to find that one person, right? So if the hiring manager is putting way too many expectations and requirements to find, you know, on the ideal candidate, that's going to really hinder your ability to be successful there. If you're not willing to learn about who your candidate is and be able to do some observation or interview or just discovery, you're never going to have a good journey map or hiring blueprint. Because if you're not willing to learn from them, you're not going to be able to develop a process that works for them. That's so insightful, Jody. And the company where I'm at with DoLead, we often do design thinking when it comes to employee experience. So once they're in the door from, you know, onboarding to offboarding and in between, what is that ideal journey? And one of the things we've seen too, is sometimes it's difficult for leaders to not interject their own prejudices or biases mm -hmm. in terms of, well, I think what they're really, what they really want or what they're really trying to communicate. And that's a really big challenge. So it's wonderful to hear, you know, that, that you work on helping with that empathy step and truly listening and not distorting, you know, the, the communication 
from the candidates because ultimately they are the ones that have to drive that in order for it to be. And to like piggyback on that, so you are working on your employee experience, you need you can even just backstep that into the recruiting and candidate experience because you really need a cohesive experience from when you source or when you talk to that candidate to onboarding and then retaining. Because if the voice changes, if you say our company does X, Y, and Z during recruiting, and then they get onboarded and you say, no, we actually do A, B, and C, there is a chance that that candidate is going to feel duped and then they're going to want to, that that employee wants to leave. You know, I see that a lot in the IT world where, you know, startups are like, oh, we're going to let you create this brand new, you know, system. You're going to be in the, you know, the, the in-depth part of, you know, coding. And then they get there and they're like, so we just needed you support. <laughs> and <laughs> IT developers are like, no, thank you. And so they get duped and then they want to leave because it's not exactly what they expected from that conversation when you're trying to attract your new hires and your employees, because all of a sudden you kind of do a 180 with the expectations or values that you actually see when you get into the organization. Oh, Ira, you're on mute. Sorry about that. It's just amazing that we talk about the the ghosting. I mean, it's just something simple. That's just common sense. And then, you know, a lot of the ATS, a lot of technology was built, as you said, let's have a blueprint. What and and I can I can just envision going back, you know, 20 years or 10 years and maybe even five. And sitting down and you go, let's walk through your hiring process. And okay, good. Yeah, this will help you do that. This will help you do that. And nobody bothered to say, but what is, what's it like for the candidate? <laughs> it's like for them to go through the system. This was like an honor that, yeah, sure. They'll want to, to be able to go through all these frictions and have a million passwords and, 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 and possibly not ever being heard from, but what an honor just to have that opportunity <laughs> to, to go through that step. We as business professionals or business owners, we always think that our company is the best of the best. You know, we we think everyone wants to work for us, but that's not actually the case all the time. And so if we're not, again, thinking about that person and thinking, okay, what what would I want to do you know, going through a process? Like one thing I always tell my clients is if you haven't applied to your job site in the past six months to a year, you better do it today. Because you're going to understand exactly what that candidate experience is, and you're going to get annoyed when you have to create a password that's 10 characters and a exclamation point and don't put any twos in it. You know, I mean, it's just the the expectation that we have of a candidate is like, we're, like you said, Ira, it's like this, we're giving them this privilege to apply to our job. And that is not how we should be thinking about this, nor should we have ever thought like this in recruiting an HR. Well, and we've been talking last uh, couple of weeks ago, the time just runs together. We talked with Alex Murphy from JobSync and, you know, I've been talking about Google for jobs for over three years. I mean, July of 2018, I think was when it was introduced and, you know, they just released, they just updated their algorithm and they gave everybody notice this was coming. So this shouldn't be a surprise, but people still don't understand what Google for jobs was. But as of October 1st, that process of going from, hey, I found you on the internet and I want to click how smooth is that process? And right now it's not because even whether you're using Google or Indeed or ZipRecruiter or whatever, you click on the button and then it takes you to the ATS and you have to register for that. So he gave this great analogy uh, of, can you imagine going to uh, up to um, Amazon, which most people use or 
something like that. And they go up to Amazon and you have to create an account, a password, and you buy a product and you go, oh, I forgot, I need to buy another product. You have to go up and create another account and a product that are used to name and password. And then you have another time and you go up and you do the same thing. So it's constantly, you know, people are constantly doing that. Yet that is the experience in, in hiring. Candidates sometimes have to create 25 different accounts and 25 different passwords just for the privilege of starting an application to find out that it, it's a 35, 40 minute application asking for the same information that 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 they just submitted. They uploaded the resume, but they got to fill in all the fields, you know, doing that. So like you, I always ask everybody, I said, if when I do my presentations, how many people have recently applied for a job at their own company? And even those who do, I said, how many applied on a mobile phone? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You have to try every potential avenue for someone who's going to apply. Um, I used to work with an organization that had a couple sites in Western New York. And at the time, the internet wasn't ideal up there. And so a lot of people were using their phones for everything internet related. And we didn't have a mobile app. And it was, you know, just this ridiculous test to try to get it together so that we could have an app. So we would have to have everyone come to our office and apply, which wasn't ideal either. Are there, is there a success story with, and I understand you've got confidentiality, you may not be able to reveal, reveal it, but going through this process of design thinking and the ideation, is there an example you can give of how, you know, how a, one of your clients improved their recruitment process by whatever that may look like? <laughs> So I had a client that was looking to revamp their selection process and their pre-employment assessment because it could take, I think it was like 45, 60 days to get through the whole process. And they understood that that wasn't ideal. The pre-employment assessment was one where you had to work with an industrial psychologist so that they could, you know, explain the assessment to you. And it was a multi-step assessment for a candidate. And at the end, I'm sure you both would have loved this. During the final interview, you would get to speak with the industrial psychologist for like four hours. How fun is that? that I mean, was, I, yeah, I wish a, I got to go through that process. process. That's a yeah, good question from up. the 1990s, 1980s. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, I started this business in 96 and that was sort of the competition. It's like, oh, we're working with, uh, or, you know, an organizational psychologist. And, and that ruled out anybody using it for an hourly. I mean, these were only for sales mm -hmm. or for senior, senior management. And then, you know, application, any, any type of testing done for hourly people was just not there. So that is a benefit of that. But it was interesting because over time, it's like, so you're telling me that somebody can go online, take this 30 minute assessment, and then we immediately get the results. And it doesn't cost us $5,000 to do that, nor does it take three to four weeks or, or more. As, as uh -huh. you indicated. And I go, yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's amazing that some floors me. I haven't run across that recently that that's that companies were actually still doing that. Not that we wanted to put industrial psychologists out of work, but uh, <laughs> no, and, and they, they can they, they have. Yeah. They still use the industrial psychologist, but it's after they get hired on and they really understand their employees, which I think is a fantastic opportunity for a company to do. It's just you don't do it up front when the person's not invested in your organization yet. And so we ended up revamping the whole selection process, um, updating their interview guides, 
utilizing their core competencies to create those interview guides, ensuring that we weren't using the same question in each interview and that the whole team could see everyone's feedback in a very simplistic way. And then we did implement an assessment that met both their culture and what their expectations were. Um, so this is a venture co venture type company, kind of a startup type company. And so we actually ended up going with Pymetrics um, because it, that gamified type feel. It has machine learning, AI to it, and it just matched exactly what they were looking for. And so it went from you know, this 60 day project, 60 day process to, you know, they could actually be done in like 12 to 14 days. Now, does that happen for them? Not always because, you know, everyone's busy. And now we, you know, then we had to go through the virtual process, right? <laughs> and then it was like, we still want them to come on site. And so, you know, they're still working through that, but they're also an organization that believes in iteration and believes on constantly improving their process. So that's something that we do, you know, they'll reach out to me and say, hey, we learned this, so we need to tweak that. And so they're constantly doing that, but they have, you know, a really strong process now to make sure that they're getting the right candidates and then they're getting the right information from the candidates and then making the best hiring decisions. About how long did that take for them? Because I know a lot of companies are really struggling now. And if you tell them it's like, well, it isn't going to take six months to six to 12 months to get this done. Then, then it's like, well, well, how do we get bodies? You know, how do we get warm bodies in here today? So how, how long did that process take? So revamping the selection process really just took a couple weeks for them to then put it into the process. Obviously, train, deciding to shift over to a pre-employment pre assessment, that always takes longer than what you hope it would. So I think that ended up taking us about six months to implement the actual assessment. Um, and then we actually did the candidate journey blueprinting. And that literally was a workshop where, you know, we kind of did a couple of virtual sessions and then I went on site and we literally, you know, did, I use Miro board, M-I-R-O, if anyone's interested, it's free and it's amazing. We used that to build the blueprint and then they were able to then within a couple of weeks, you know, present it to the executives and say, hey, this is what we need to do um, as far as any changes. So it can be really fast. I think a lot of people think of design thinking as something that can take months and it can. I mean, if you're building a brand new product, if you have a lot of red tape you have to go through, yes, it's going to take time. But if you're, you know, just looking at a specific step of the process and you want to tweak it and then try it out, you know, you can do that within a day, just depending on what piece it is. So putting a candidate persona into your process could literally be a 20 minute process for you. You know, so it, it's all about trying to, you know, figure out where do you have the biggest hurdle, like the biggest issue, and then you know, how can we then, you know, learn about the people and then implement some potential steps or changes? Yeah, it, it's still amazing, maybe. There's so many organizations that are still looking at education. Uh, you know, how many X number of years of experience education? And I've mentioned this, I think, on some other shows. McKinsey came out and they developed these, what they call deltas, which are dimensions of elements of their Elements of talent. Okay, that's what it was. Going to remember what it stood for. And what they identified that they identified 56 different skills or abilities or traits that companies were looking for. And what they discovered using statistics that the number one correlation to 
to, to education was digital literacy and then data analysis. But, you know, things uh, last week we had Dr. Yoram Solomon talking about trust, you know, inspiring trust and driving change and, and energy. When you look at identifying what's the persona of that, I mean, everybody says, well, we need somebody that went to this school, has this degree, with X number of degrees. But when it comes down to it, when they really do the studies or an analysis, they find out it really is correlated. I mean, you may need mm-hmm. license in the state. That doesn't mean you're good or, or bad, but it often comes down to to other attributes. Was there anything in in your process of kind of getting them out of here's the persona? We need somebody has a degree and this experience and and this certification. Was there anything that surprised you? Yeah, for. The group I was working with, like specifically my my one client, the the piece that they were looking for was a culture value fit into the organization. So when they were looking at their candidate persona, a lot of what they were looking at were motivators or, you know, why would someone want to leave company X and why would they want to come here? You know, what are what do they offer? Not benefits, but like actual work. <laughs> that someone would be intrigued to, you know, show up and do that work. Um, again, they're in a tax startup area. So, you know, when you're hiring individuals in that area, you have to make sure that you're kind of showing them kind of what's in it for me as far as like, when I'm, what's my purpose and how, how is that going to impact either the world or the company? So a lot of what we talk about is the motivators, but then when you're looking for the person, right, when you've decided I'm going to source a candidate, you have to understand, okay, well, where would they potentially work before? What titles would they have? What education would they potentially have? And then that builds up the ability to find the right right place to engage. And then that gives you the sourcing strategies to then be able to find those candidates. Again, if you literally are only looking for someone who has a bachelor's degree in industrial psychology from Boston University, there's not much to do there as far as different strategies. You're really, you know, just looking at maybe five people. So again, it's it's broadening it and thinking about, okay, how do we do this? And even my client, very focused on DEI, really wanted to make sure that they had representation in their candidates as well as their employees. And so they would do a candidate persona saying, okay, where can we find potential DEI candidates? So that was a whole nother strategy. So they were building multiple strategies to find candidates to then be able to, you know, look at. But at the end of the day, they had to have the right motivators, the right values in order for them to be a good candidate. Yeah, it's fascinating because even looking in the in this McKinsey and these in these deltas that they had, you know, they identified other groups, other occupations that share those once, once you get beyond the education and the experience. And they found one of the, the fields that is really being impacted uh, these days is finance and banking. So there's a lot of people that had 20, 30 year careers or less in, in banking and finance that are now looking for a job. They're unemployed. And who, which field is looking for, you know, what, what occupation is looking for a lot of people? Well, cybersecurity, and they don't have them. Well, when, they, when you actually take away what, what that skill set, what their education, what their title was, is that they found that the, the most predictive traits of success and, and how people approached work happened to be in banking and finance, account, and especially in accounting and finance in banking, is 
they had the same traits. They worked the same. The approach worked the same. All you had to do is teach them the basics. You can teach, which is always the easiest to teach, the technical skills. And most of these people were pretty bright, so they can learn it. So a, a short on-ramp, but they had the style. They had the motiv- the motivators. They had they And they had that cultural fit. It was just a different job title. And people need to get you know beyond that. We've been talking to it for years. I, I remember... 40 years ago, I had a, uh, you know, when I had my uh, practice, when I started it, people, you know, often said, well, we need people that are licensed and they, they're certified and they went to school. And yet, if you, who, who is great to work with patients or customers? Wait, a server. If you had a great server in a restaurant, hire them. They have the natural talent. You can teach them the hard skills, but they had to learn. And, you know, that, that to me was common sense, but apparently not everybody decided to apply <laughs> play by those rules. We are coming up pretty close to the end here, Jody. The show always goes crazy fast. Uh, Jason, I don't know if you had anything additional. Do you had any question you had for Jody? Yeah, well, one quick question, and I think this will tie in with where you're getting ready to go, Ira, is I'm sure a lot of our, our folks today are wondering, you know, this sounds incredible. It sounds like something that can really help us out, you know, with our hiring practices. How do I get started? Like, what's the first thing in terms of dipping our toes in the water of what we can do? So I would say one of the fastest ways to use design thinking is to start with the ideation piece, which is brainstorming. And you can do that by either doing it alone or with a group of people and literally have a challenge and ask them, what are some ideas? And, you know, give each of maybe two minutes to come up with as many ideas as possible. Like I love using post-its because each time you get to rip that thing, say one idea, two ideas, three ideas, you know, it's just exciting. But um, get your group together, come up with ideas on, you know, maybe sourcing strategies or, you know, how can we get in front of a candidate to learn from them, right? And then that will give you the ability to start seeing how a group of people can come up with some amazing ideas. And then you can start actually taking those ideas and maybe looking at implementing them. So brainstorming is really simplistic. And I think the candidate persona for a recruiter, you know, if you do an intake session, you should be able to build a candidate persona from that. Yeah, it's great. Every time, every, every time you speak, and the same goes for our, our guests, it always prompts in something. Right? Oh, crap, I forgot about that, too. It's not only the brainstorming is learn this from Jeff Hoffman, who was a co-founder of Priceline. And now he's a f- social philanthropist and, and just a super nice guy. But I heard him speak. I met him a few years ago and he talked about info sponging. And info sponging is every morning he gets up and he reads something about an industry that has nothing to do with his business. And, you know, here he was in travel. And that's how he started the business. He he was in, I, I can't remember what it was in initially, but he goes, I wonder what airlines and hotels do with their spare rooms. You know, and he used it from a different model of what do people do with excess furniture or excess groceries? And why couldn't we do that with a different one? Bank tellers, you know, bank uh, drive throughs were, you know, we're, we're basically around and McDonald's said, well, why can't we do that with fast food? Why can't we do that with food? Have a drive through. And so they adopted it. So one of the things when you talk about, you know, where to spare that uh, spur an idea, generate an idea is this info sponging is, and this is pretty simple. Look at another industry. 
<laughs> so there's a there's an ideation called smash up, and that is taking something completely different from what you're trying to accomplish and learning from it and then coming up with solutions. So it could be, for example, you're trying to spice up your conference, your 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 meetings, right? Like how fun is it to go to a meeting, especially on Zoom? So, you know, you can take that experience of, let's say, a concert. What are things that are exciting about a concert? So that could be, you know, the draw of the music when the, the band starts to play. If you're still out getting your beer, you run to, to get to in front so you can hear that your you know band playing. So maybe when a, it's about to start, you play really exciting, high energy music before your meeting. So people are kind of pumped to get there, you know, so taking completely different industries understanding, like you said, Ira, very similar, but then coming up with, okay, what are some ideas? If we mash up X and Y, what do we get? And you're going to get some really out-of-the-box creative ideas that you could actually implement into your organization. Excellent. Again, I love those. I love the ideas. I love the creativity. I, I wasn't that familiar with design thinking. Other than what I really like about it, there is a people focus to it, which so a lot of these other programs and, and uh, really good methodologies were really good for the company or they were one-sided or they were strictly people-focused and then you ignored, how, how's that going to affect us? You know, people actually have to do the work, but it really is, an, is a really nice system because it brings in both part, all the parties that are involved. Uh-huh. You know, right from the beginning. So I appreciate that. How can people get a hold of you? I mean, one is your book and, and also if they wanted to reach out to you to, to be able to talk to you about them. Absolutely. So you can always reach me on LinkedIn, Jody with an I, Brian Setter. There's a lot of T's. Just keep adding T's and you'll be, you'll be good. And you can always find Hire by Design. Here's a copy of it. You can find that on Amazon.com. And yeah, and my website there, I actually have jodybrandsetter.com that takes you directly to my site. So would love to talk to anyone who is interested in design thinking or recruiting. I, I geek out about TA and design thinking. That's, that's the thing I, I love to geek about. As they say, that's your jam. Yes. <laughs> so. Absolutely. Hey, Jody, hey, thanks. It was great meeting you. Really great to have a conversation with you. I'm sure we'll be talking again quite a bit. And good luck with the book. You know, obviously it's a time for change and, and Hire by Design should be a, a welcome, uh, you know, new entry for, for a lot of organizations. Jason, Ira, thank you so much for having me. I, I, I love the conversation and, and enjoy meeting both of you. Yeah, likewise. Likewise. Thank you, Jody. Jason, again, another new, different approach. I won't say a new approach because it's not new, but a different approach. Were you, how familiar were you with design thinking before? I've just really become familiar with it in about the last six to eight months, you know, as as we've really been thinking more about employee experience and and helping leaders and organizations think through that, really had to learn more about that and and what that process looks like. And, And I'll tell you, I didn't realize it, but I used to do some of this in my previous life when I was a psychologist and primarily worked in schools. What was fascinating was whenever student behavior was a challenge in school, Ira, I'm sure you'll find this hard to believe, but guess who was at the table discussing student behavior, but who was not at the table discussing student behavior? Students. The students weren't there. All the adults are around the table talking about how we're going to solve, you know, these student behavior challenges, coming up with these wonderful ideas that we came up with in our own heads. 
but never once were we inviting <laughs> students to the table to collaborate in, hey, what's up? Like, why is this problem consistently occurring? And, and so we used a model called Collaborative Problem Solving by Dr. Ross Green. He now has changed the name of it to Creative and Proactive Solutions due to some trademarking and copyright issues. But that was the first time that I got the chance to really step into this idea of making sure that you aren't interjecting your own biases and prejudices and that you really have the right person. Whatever problem you're trying to solve, make sure you have the right people in the center and that you genuinely are listening to them and you're not distorting or contorting, you know, what it is that they're sharing. And that you take that information and you have a process that tries to remove the bias out of it and says, okay, how much of this is realistic that we can do? If we do this, do we anticipate that this is going to solve the problem? And so, you know, I, I had some experience early on. I didn't know that's what it was, was design thinking, but doing some of that in school. And it's great to see now that we're learning a lot from, in business, marketers that have been doing it for a very long time in terms of trying to understand the buyer's journey. And now we're starting to see it on the recruiting side and hiring side of thinking through candidate experience and now also employee experience. And hopefully by using these design thinking processes, we're removing those biases and we're getting to a point where we're truly giving people what they want and they need to be successful and have the ideal experience. Yeah, there's no question about it. You know, again, you know, I talk about adaptability all the time. I mean, and and it's one of the skills and how you change that environment. But design thinking is a process that you can use to to make that happen. So identify what's working. You know, is there enough company support? What do your companies feel? What do your employees feel about that? Or are there certain skill sets? How do you make that happen? Having a methodology like design thinking that work, you know, that that ask people on both sides. I mean, it's crazy for, for years and it still happens a lot. Talent, you know, we talk, I mentioned the talent board all the time. They, 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 they survey a couple hundred thousand candidates every single year. They're saying, this is what we don't like about your process. Your application's too long. You don't, and you ghost us. Uh, the, the job, things that Jody just said, the job description you promote the job is one thing, and then we get in there and they go, well, yeah, that maybe down the road, that'll be what the job is. It doesn't explain what the job is today. Those disconnects, they literally, they're saying, this is what we don't like. Change this and we'll apply. And we, if offered a job, we may work for you. And it's like, no, we can't do that here. What's the reluctance there, Ira? In, in your experience, where does that reluctance come from typically? I'd love to answer that. But we're going to get kicked off the air soon. <laughs> so, but but that's yes for another part of it is is it's it's just attitude. It just needs to change. We're, we're living in 2021. It's a different time. We're living in an age of VUCA, Googleization, whatever you want to call it. It really just requires a much more open mindset. And if you still believe that you've got a job, and uh, you know, hey, we pay as much as we can, but we're a small company. We can't afford more. You're, I don't know how you're going to stay in business. I think it's as simple as that. I, I don't know why people are so hesitant, but if we can solve that, we can probably figure out why some people don't want to get vaccinated, why, why people believe what they want to believe. We want to thank everybody for listening to Geek Skeezers and Googleization. Thank you for being part of Googleization Nation. If you're not part of it yet, please uh, go up and join.
googleizationnation.com. Thank you very much. We've got some great guests next week. We're talking about education, (laughs) I believe. And then again, we've got Jacob Morgan at the end of the month, and uh, we just got a great lineup through the rest of the year. So uh, please say, stay safe, everyone, and don't let the shift hit your plans. Thank you.